Plane Lab, a podcast for anyone interested in RC airplanes. We'll share tips and tricks on how to build models and talk about successful flights, epic crashes, and everything in between. Visit us at rcplanelab.com to sign up for our email list and to ask us questions. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now here are your hosts, Ron and Tom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RC Plane Lab podcast. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. So tonight's episode, or I guess this week's episode, is going to be a little bit different uh, tonight for us because it's almost 9 o'clock in the evening uh, when we're recording this. Um, <laughs> but we, Yeah, and I have to work tomorrow. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. Um, so we, we have a couple episodes coming up that have been, uh, I want to say, a little bit more... Uh, in-depth for research, so we haven't done a lot of research for this episode, so bear with us and what we're talking about. We're kind of kind of uh, go over like, you know, what we've accomplished, read some more listener emails, and kind of talk about uh, talk about some of the stuff they ask in that. Um, right. It'll it'll be just just more of us rambling, kind of like the other episodes, but more so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you you can definitely ramble. So yeah, I do. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we've we've covered beginner airplanes. Uh, you know how right. to re- how to pre-flight them, uh, and we've also covered what a good second airplane would be. Um, yep, we also never... made suggestions for your first airplane. Yeah, that is true. Um, we've never really gone over the basics of flight and how to fly an airplane. Um, we kind of talked That's about true. doing this before and just kind of touching on it and not making a, a full episode of it, uh, but mm-hmm. we've never gotten around to it. So this is a good time for us to quickly touch on it, uh, especially since we received the following message. Hey guys, uh, thanks for the amazing content. Uh, I listen to you on Spotify at work. Uh, so I am a quadcopter pilot and I want to get into the RC airplane world. Could you make an episode about how to pilot, land, take off, use flaps, and these basics? I would really appreciate it since I am kind of nervous about it and it's kind of keeping me from flying a fixed wing. Cheers, Bardia. And I apologize if I mispronounced your name. Um, so yeah, uh, we could definitely talk about how to fly an airplane. Um, and we definitely there, will do that because anytime we can take somebody that flies quadcopters and bring them over to the uh, <laughs> the fixed wing experience, um, the more the merrier. Uh, Amen. You know, fixed wing aircraft are not scary. They're just uh, more complicated, I'll say, than flying they're a just drone. Different. Well, yeah, yeah, but there's a little bit more to them than flying a drone that flies itself. Um, so you know, if we're going to talk about a four channel airplane, because I would not go with a three-channel airplane, so we're going to kind of yep. stick with four-channel and assume that's what everybody is going to learn on if you're trying to learn. Um, yep. So there are four major functions that are controllable on the airplane, hence the four-channel. The speed of the motor obviously affects the propeller speed. Um, propellers, by the way, are also called air screws. So if you ever hear somebody say an air screw, they're talking about a propeller. Um, they work the same way as putting a screw into wood. You know, as they turn, screws pull themselves through the material that they're in. So when a propeller spins, uh, it's screwing itself through the air. Uh, I really like the term air screw, but it makes me sound kind of dorky when I say it, so I don't use it, it often. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, air screw. How much cooler but, you does know, that sound, to... really, than saying propeller? It, well, I, I like the word propeller, um, but, <laughs> you know, one of the major propeller manufacturers is master air screw. So... You know, there's 
there's a there's legit logic in your reasoning. See, they have embraced it. Why can't I? You you, you can. No one says you can't. <laughs> I'll accept everybody that laughs at me when I say it. So anyway, um, yeah. and so, call you a dork. Right. Uh, anyway, working backwards from the front of the airplane, you have the ailerons on the wing, uh, elevators on the horizontal stab, and the rudder on the vertical stab. So your ailerons control roll, the elevators control pitch, and the rudder controls the yaw of the aircraft. Now that we have that kind of basics out of the way, let's let's go through you know takeoff, how you roll out a takeoff, how you do uh, you know banking and turns, how you land. So why don't you walk us through that? Obviously, to start the takeoff roll, you have to have some forward momentum. You need to get some air flowing over the wings so that they develop lift. Uh, to do that, you need to move those wings through the air, and the way you do that is obviously you advance the throttle. Uh, so you advance the throttle and get the airplane moving down the runway. Which, if you're if you're on a tricycle airplane, it's going to behave a little bit differently than uh, than a tail dragger. So you want to get on the throttle slowly. You don't just want to go you know straight to full throttle. Uh, it will kind of twist you off the runway. Um, you you have that with I guess all airplanes a little bit, but especially like Cubs and all that are really affected by the uh, uh, the torque of the engine. So you have to be careful when you're when you're throttling it up. Right. Yep. That's uh, that's a good point. You want to advance the throttle smoothly, uh, not abruptly, uh, and and that will give you time to make small corrections as the airplane is heading down the runway. And so as the airplane is heading down the runway, gathering speed, um, you'll control that, that, you know, left, you'll steer the airplane, if you will, on the ground with the rudder, uh, which is going to be on your left stick along with your throttle. So the, to talk about the, the positions and, and how that translates on your transmitter, um, quadcopters, you know, you fly them, to be honest, you fly a quadcopter more kind of like a helicopter than you do an airplane. Um, so on an airplane, you know, you've got the two sticks and we fly mode two here in the United States. So on the left stick is going to be your throttle and rudder, like I just said, and your right stick obviously is going to be the other two functions, uh, elevator and aileron. Um, throttle is up and down on the left stick and your rudder is left and right on the left stick. So, so really quick, sorry for mode one, then is the, like the whole stick backwards. So... Is it throttle and rudder on the right? Exactly. Okay. I didn't know if they mixed anything different in there, if it was like elevator and aileron or whatever it was. So, okay. So it's just completely backwards uh, as to what right. we do. Okay. Yeah. They do things They do things differently over there in Europe. That's where that. That's where mode one is. Is, uh, is that kind most, of like where they common. drive on the wrong side of the road too? Exactly. So See? everything is mirrored. Right. <laughs> right. So for the takeoff run, uh, before you get flying, you're going to basically be controlling everything on the about the airplane with the left stick uh, until it gathers some momentum and steam and uh, some speed going down the runway. Once it's reached enough speed, you pull back on the elevator, which is the right stick, and elevator on the right stick is up and down, and you pull back to go up. I mean, that's a it's a it's a very basic. Uh, uh, control function, and you'd be surprised at how many beginners get that wrong. <laughs> they think push up to go up, right? No. Yeah. You pull, you pull back to go up, and what that does, if you're looking at the airplane, when you pull back on the elevator, assuming we have a a conventional airplane with a tail at the back of the airplane, not a a weird canard or anything like that, uh, which we'll talk about some other day, 
Um, but when you pull the stick back, the elevator moves up and makes the airplane uh, uh, rotate, if you will, around the longitudinal axis, uh, which causes the nose to come up and increases the increases the angle of attack you know, relative to the... I mean, we're getting deep in, but basically you pull back to go up. Uh, <laughs> so that's accomplished on the right-hand stick with your elevator. Uh, once the airplane is off the ground and flying, uh, assuming you haven't pulled back too far and stalled it or tried to lift it on the ground too early and stalled it or any of those nasty things. But if you use one of those trainers that we recommended, you're not going to have any of those issues. Um, but anyway, once you have the airplane in the air, then you're going to control the um, the rotation about the longitudinal axis. Excuse me. <clears throat> The longitudinal axis. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. Um, <laughs> it's a long with word. The a, with the ailerons. So I think I may have got it backwards earlier. The lateral axis is controlled with your elevator, and the longitudinal axis is controlled with your ailerons. And then your vertical axis, that's the yaw, and that's rudder, just to get that out of the way. Uh, but anyway, you'll you'll roll your wings, you know, right or left, depending on which uh, direction, what kind of pattern you want to fly at your particular flying spot, and that uh, that basically is what will turn the airplane. And you can get really fancy if you want to, and you can coordinate that with a little bit of rudder in the same direction. Uh, Which I still don't actually understand coordinated turns. I know you've tried to explain it to me before. Um, I'm kind of more of a, yeah. a bank and elevator for when I turn, so right. I, I don't know right. what to look for or what a uh, a nice turn looks like when you have the rudder input also. Because I know you showed right. me while flying what it looks like, but I still don't quite get it. Yeah, some planes some planes are just uh, are just better at turning than others. Um, a lot of today's trainers are, are so stable and you don't need rudder at all for the turns because they, they have the dihedral, dihedral that assists with all that and, you know, you just don't need it. But a coordinated turn is usually, um, so on an airplane, on a, on a real airplane, on a full-size airplane, you, you have to coordinate your turns because if you get in a, in a, you know, in a, in a banking situation and the airplane is slipping, uh, it's not it's not using the lift in the most efficient manner. So um, without getting too into the weeds on that, you run the risk of, of stalling the, you know, the, the banking, you know, the low wingtip and that's bad. It induces a spin. And if you do it low enough, you crash and die. At least that doesn't happen on model airplanes. Right. Right. The crash and die. Um, yeah. You don't die. Uh, a little bit of your wallet might, but uh, anyway. <laughs> a little bit of um, your soul goes down with it, but not soul, you. <laughs> but not you, right. You live to build another one, right? And crash so, it again. Um, and hopefully not crash it again. <laughs> hopefully you learned your lesson to coordinate your turn. Uh, but at any rate, on a model, it's it's not as big a deal because our, you know, we, uh, we, generally speaking, we fly our models way above any airspeed that could potentially cause that sort of issue to happen. But you can see it at slower airspeeds. Um, when the airplane is flying away from you and maybe climbing a little bit and you roll into it, you know, let's say a right-hand turn, if, if you drew a line, okay, that the, air, that the path of the airplane is taking, and then on that line you project the image of the nose of the aircraft and the tail of the aircraft, they would not be on that line if you're not, you know, if you're not feeding in a little bit of rudder at the same time. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to 
make make the turn as efficient as possible. And they're really pretty too when you do it right, especially on bigger airplanes. Um, mm-hmm. it, it sometimes shows up as it looks like it's dragging the tail through the turn. So the tail is kind of going through the turn at a lower um you know, at a lower position than the nose. It almost appears like it's dragging. A coordinated turn will kind of bump that tail up and make the tail follow the nose through that turn. It just it's just more efficient and it looks pretty, really. That's that's really all it amounts to. Well that's something I need to work on then. And it's so easy to do. Especially if you learned if you've learned to fly on a three channel uh setup which I know there's lots and lots and lots of minuses that we've already covered. But mm-hmm. one plus is that you've already learned sort of how to fly with the rudder. So then when you go to learn to fly with the ailerons, you kind of already have that that mentality of feeding in rudder for the turn when you transition to ailerons. So you actually end up feeding both of them into the turn, which is not a bad thing in most cases. Yeah, but I didn't know when I was learning on a three-channel that I was using the rudder. I mean, I knew I was using the rudder, but I didn't true. know, you know, that's not the thumb input I was using. I was using the that's right true. hand for the rudder. So that that made it a little bit more difficult, you know, like I said, Seriously. to go to a four-channel. So, Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that's basically how you fly. You you pull back to go up and you keep the wings level with the, you know, with the other input on the right stick, the left and right, which controls the ailerons. And uh, throttle is controlled with the left stick and, you know, the yaw or steering it on the ground really for beginners mostly is what that amounts to. That's what the rudder on the left stick, left and right. So that's basically how you fly. You just uh, you just go down the runway and pull back. And once the airplane is uh, airborne, you try not to climb too steep and lose airspeed and, you know, get a safe altitude. And, and usually what I it's, – it's a lot easier to do it than to talk about it. Um, but usually, what I do when I'm when I'm teaching um, is we'll 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 start with the basic stuff. We'll get to a comfortable you know three mistakes high altitude, um, and that'll that'll become that'll become obvious what that means after your first couple of flights. Uh, <laughs> yep. And you do basically we just do basically big loops around the field. Uh, you know we'll do right hand turns and then we'll do left hand turns and then. As the skills progress, we do figure eights, which combines a left and a right turn in one lap, and then uh, and then you know we'll we'll work on that for a few flights on the buddy box. I'll handle the landings, uh, and then once the uh, student is shown proficiency in turning the airplane left and right, especially when it's coming at him or her, um, then we'll we'll start working on approaches for landing. Because if you think about it, uh, an approach for landing. Sh- should always, not should always, I shouldn't say that, but uh, ideally your approach will be flying at you. You know, you'll be looking at the nose of the aircraft as opposed to the tail because if you land away from you, you lose a lot of that depth perception as the airplane gets farther and farther away. And hopefully if you've done the correct approach, you'll you'll land the airplane somewhere close to where you're standing so that the the distance from the airplane to the ground is easier to uh, perceive than it is when the airplane is really, really far away from you. So once a student has demonstrated the, you know, the the uh, understanding of the backward controls when it's coming at you, um, then we'll work on uh, landing approaches and execute their first landing. Yeah, and for landing, so it's going to be different based on the airplane you're flying to. Um, yes. You know, some airplanes you keep uh, half to three-quarter throttle until you're almost touched down on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. because if not, you'll stall. Uh, like the big, the big yak I have, 
literally on the approach, instead of starting it when it's facing you, you have to start it and go all the way down to quarter throttle, actually all the way down to idle, when it's flying away from you before you start your final turn to come in. Yeah, the down one leg. Right. Um, it has so much lift that it will not go down to the ground if you don't do that. Um, mm -hmm. And I found that out the hard way the first time I tried to land it because I'd come <laughs> in, you know, half throttle, something like that, and I was nowhere near getting it down to the ground, and you could not make it land. Um, so right. landing depends on the airplane you have. Most trainers, you know, they glide really well, and you're going to be at the lower end of the throttle when you're coming at you. Um, and yep. then as you get right above the ground, just cut it off and gently set it down. Um, right, right. Landings are fun. I, I kind of think that's my favorite part of flying. Takeoffs are easy, um, but landings are fun because you can tell a lot about a pilot by how they land. The nice and, and smooth landings and, and um, you know, no bounce. It's just gorgeous, and that's what I like to watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like to do... Um, well, like the other night flying the, the old P40 here, um, I like doing, you know, I like doing the takeoff. I like doing the, the approach. I like trying to grease the landing in that it's, you know, aside from learning a new maneuver, you know, landings are, are a challenge. And if you, you know, work on them and practice them and you, you can really make them pretty and, and the practice is a lot of fun. I agree. Yeah, and landings are mandatory. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, you're either going to do it well or you're going to do it not well. And I would prefer to do it well every time. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> what goes yeah, up so must come down. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> and hopefully, yeah, hopefully, uh, yeah. Don't. So basically, Bardia. Um, again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name, but uh, but um, it's okay to be nervous. Uh, like I still get nervous, even after all these years, you know, with certain airplanes. Yeah, you should um, be nervous. That's what keeps you yeah, on your toes. Yeah. Yep, and that's what actually, yeah, exactly, keeps you on your toes. It sharpens your skills, um, but but don't be afraid. Um, you know, I mean, yes, you have a little bit of of money in invested in the airplane and time. You know, if you've if you've built one, even time if you've put an ARF together. Um, but there's there's nothing to be really afraid of. I mean, yes, crashing sucks. Nobody likes it. But you know, at the end of the day, um, you you you've learned something from that particular instance. Um, but with today's modern trainers uh, and the and the airplanes that we suggested on that very on that first episode or one of those first episodes. Um, they are so, so easy to fly these days. It's just, I mean, it, it almost guarantees success right out of the box on, on the, at least on the ones that, uh, that we've, uh, recommended. So, and there's other ones out there too. Um, so don't, don't be, uh, you know, don't be afraid. It's okay to be nervous. Um, but, but don't be afraid. I mean, get out there and do it. Um, there's so much, in my opinion, airplanes are so much more rewarding, Yes. Than, than uh, drone flying. I mean, they really are. I agree. Yes, I've I've done both, and I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. Um, yeah. The so the there was a question about flaps in there. The only thing I would say about flaps is uh, oh right, stay away from them when you're beginning. I mean, you don't have to, but it's just another level of complexity that when you're learning to fly, you you don't need. Yeah, um, they're not necessary. Right. They look cool and they're fun to fly with, but until you're to that point, just you know, don't worry about it. You'll get there. But for yeah. the basics of, oh, yeah. of flight, I would not worry about them. Yep, I agree. 
um, flaps on on the on all on pretty much all trainers uh, are are kind of a neat little toy to play with once you have the once you have the basics down. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I agree. So cool. Um, let's right. move on. Next one um, from Nathan Keenan. He says, "Guys, great show. Thank you for staying active and weathering the pandemic." I fly three yeah. or four times a week, weather permitting, of course. I heavily That's use the awesome. front yard. Yeah, I, I know, right? Um, I heavily use the front yard for foamies and profile 3D stuff, and out back on some acreage for larger planes. I fly electric mostly, but have one gasoline plane and several nitro planes that I take out periodically as well. I have an idea for a subtopic, maybe not a whole show: converting nitro planes to electric. Though this is is sacrilege to many, it's a very practical (laughs) way to fly more often and for many people that cannot master the inherent idiosyncrasies of nitro, tuning greasy, loud, etc. Anyway, I just wanted to reach out and let you know I'm out here and loving your podcast. Your voices are complimentary. See if you can find the telemasters in this Waldo-esque world of RC chaos. (laughs) So he sent a picture of all his airplanes. Um, It's impressive. Yeah, it is. Uh, he said, I know where everything is, I think. Take care, Nathan. Um, <laughs> so, Nathan, I, I, I tease um, converting, you know, nitro to electric because I'm such a nitro guy. Um, <laughs> which, which, hold on, by the way, how many how many airplane engines are you up to, nitro engines that you bought in the last month? It doesn't matter. So <laughs> I, More I, than I'm, last I'm, time I'm, we talked, by the way. A lot more. It It's a few more. Um, <laughs> so, anyway... I tease, but no, I think that's really cool. Actually, um, converting you know converting a small nitro plane to electric is uh, is really neat, and it doesn't have to be small. By the way, true, you can pretty Absolutely much convert true. any size nitro plane you have into electric. Um, that is true. one that we will not talk about now. Uh, all I can say right. is tune in next week because that is uh, that is going to be part of the the show that we have for next week. Um, right. Yep. I, I will That's, also uh, I will also talk about the uh, the Cavalier that I've been working on. Um, that is, you know, that's a nitro kit or nitro. Well, yeah, it was a kit. It was um, a nitro kit. Yeah. That I changed to be electric. So it wasn't ever nitro to begin with, but I did repurpose it to be an electric airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll kind of cover picking engine sizes and and all that stuff next week. Um, yeah, and, and go over the the conversion process they, along with some other. Are topics. they called engines or are they called motors? I Electrics. don't know. I guess I I technically can go both ways, but you're probably right. They're motors, not an engine. I'd have to look it up to find the actual definition to see what uh, what's correct. But thanks yeah. for calling me out think... on that. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, yeah, no, I mean right. I've, I'm guilty of calling them engines too. So, I mean, especially when the when they're like really big. Those really big electric ones that can replace like a sixty size nitro. I mean, that's. I guess technically it's a motor, but to me that's an engine. <laughs> you know, it's replacing an engine. So, by the way, according to I just did a Google thing. According to uh, online, which we all know <laughs> online is correct. Engine definition: a machine with moving parts that converts power into motion. Well, there you go. That's so an engine. By that definition, yes, it's an engine. See. Internet to the rescue. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna we'll, we'll talk about the the electric motors on the on the next episode, which I've been, admittedly, I've been dreading. We've we've been putting it off probably <laughs> mostly because of me, everybody. Um, but uh, yeah, we're we're gonna cover that on the on the next episode and um, doing a lot of research. So hopefully we get it right. 
Uh, but I do want to say that, um, Nathan, the picture that you sent us, um, hats off. That's a great Great collection. There's some really, really good airplanes in there. And yes, I think I found at least one Telemaster, and I think I may have found the other one, too. Um, how about you, Ron? Did you find them? Yeah, so I, I I have to admit, I hate word finds. I hate the Waldo things because I can st- <laughs> I can stare at things for, and ask my wife. I literally will like go to the pantry and ask her where the flower is because I can't find it, and it will be, <laughs> right, be right in front of my face. Of so... Okay. Um, I looked at that picture for I don't know how long, a long time, <laughs> and I could not find it. I thought I saw a wing, but I wasn't sure if that's what it went to or not. And then sure yeah. enough, you and I sit down and we talk about it before we got on here, and you're like, oh, there it is. I was like, oh, my friggin' God. I, I seriously <laughs> looked at that for I don't know how long, and boom, yeah. yes, there it was. Yeah. So where's yeah. Waldo? So- All that stuff is, no, I, I, I cannot take that stuff, so... Um, next yeah. time, if you're going to send us something, circle it for me. It'll be so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so thanks, Nathan. Uh, I appreciate uh, the photo. That was that was really cool. I love I love seeing pictures of your guys' um, workshop slash storage airplane storage solution because I'm always looking for you know ideas on how to you know organize my space and store the airplanes. So I, I appreciate those photos. So thanks, Nathan. And we'll and we'll we'll hopefully answer um the, the electric conversion question on the on the next episode. Yep. I, I think we should get that covered. So cool. Um, All right. So so next uh we've received an unsigned email that uh, we wanted to touch on. Uh, apparently used his phone and didn't sign his name, but hopefully he'll recognize. Uh, it says uh, hey guys Love your show. It's very informative, and I'm learning a lot. Excellent. I uh, just started getting back into flying RC airplanes. I had a couple as a kid, but mostly just crashed them and glued them back together until they were so heavy they wouldn't fly anymore. I've been there, done that, <laughs> like most beginners. Um, uh-huh. But now that I'm an adult, I can afford to crash way more planes. <laughs> okay, only kidding. But I would like to do it right this time. Um, I have a FlySky FSI-6 remote and a Zo. ZOHD Dart 250. I have to admit, I'm not familiar with either of those. Um, just saying, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, with the co-pilot light system. I have flown it a few times and, of course, made the mistake of going into manual mode 10 feet off the ground and crashing it immediately, breaking it in half. That's not good. Uh, no. I have glued it back together and have made a successful flight going home without even crashing. Excellent. Still have some tweaking to do, and I'm not sure what the issue is, but it does not fly stable while it's in return-to-home mode, circling above me on its own. But it is a ton of fun to fly. Anyway, all that being said, my main reason for contacting you is a question I have about building my next plane. Well, we're the guys to talk to, right? Hopefully. Um, (laughs) Well, we do like to build planes. That is true. Uh, I have bought all the components in the Flight Test Mini Mustang cardboard kit, and I'm looking forward to building that. Here is my question. Can I fiberglass the entire plane? Or rather, when I fiberglass the entire plane, will it be too heavy to fly? How do I figure out what battery I would need and what prop size I would need? Um, I want to put a 2205 to 2300 kV motor on it uh, because that's what I have. Also, I could use an in-depth lesson on how to decide what battery is right for what application. Um, I also could use that lesson. Uh, I know I know that was a lot to cover, and I appreciate you considering any of these things. You were probably thinking that's way too advanced of an aircraft for somebody who hasn't flown in a long time and doesn't really know anything about RC airplanes. No, I don't think that at all. 
Um, and I would agree. I know it's going to be fast and very maneuverable and maybe even more so covered in fiberglass. So I'll probably crash it. <laughs> Hope not. Uh, but I'm going to do my best not to crash it. And the last thing I want to try to put the co-pilot system in the Mustang as well and would love to hear your thoughts on that. So, um, yes. Um, well, hold on. First off, I, I, I want to I wanna correct you on just one thing. Um, okay. When you were talking about the motor size, you said I want to put a 2205 to 2300 kV motor in it. Um, mm -hmm. That's not how that is. So the 2205 is the size of the motor. And the 2300 kV is the, um, uh, it's, well, we'll get into that next week, but the 2300 okay. kV is the RPMs per volt. So the 2205 denotes or denotes motor size. Oh, perfect. So, okay. There we go. Okay. See, shows you, it shows you what an idiot I am when it comes to electric <laughs> motors. <laughs> That's a small motor that spins fast. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. Okay. All right. So, so yeah, that was a lot to cover. Yeah, everything that he asked when it comes to battery, propeller, all that kind of stuff, that will be covered next week also. Excellent. See, cool. this is kind of why we need to get into the, the motor episode and kind of what pushed us forward on this. We've had so many questions about electric motors. Um, yeah. It's time to bite the bullet, and you're right, right. We've been putting it off, so we will get to that. Um, uh, and it's my fault. I take the blame. I mean, you see, I didn't even know what the what those numbers mean. So hopefully I will learn along with some of our listeners on the next one. Um, but some of the stuff I can talk about, for instance, um, he asks, uh, can he fiberglass the entire plane? Um, yeah, yeah, you can, you can fiberglass. I mean, you can fiberglass almost anything, really. Um, you can fiberglass foam airplanes. I've seen guys fiberglass... Uh, uh, the cardboard airplanes, I've seen some guys actually do some fiberglass work on the cardboard. Um, the, the problem is, it, as, as you sort of alluded to in the, in, the, in the message to us, was that it does add weight. Um, and how much weight is going to depend on, on your skill with fiberglass, honestly. Um, I'm, not, you know, I'm not really going to get into to how to fiberglass an airplane on this episode. Maybe that's something we can, we can cover some, some other time. Yeah, I actually wouldn't mind doing that because I do not know, you know, I, I hear people talk about it all the time, like I'm going to fiberglass the, the airplane, or you, you know, you did it too on, uh, mm -hmm. on the Horton when you're talking about that one. I'm not familiar right. with how to do that. I've never seen it done. So that would be something okay. I think that I would like to learn how to do too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I said, depending on your skills, that's, you know, it's going to depend on how much weight it gains um, by doing so. Uh, the real question to me anyway uh, on this particular um, message is why why would you want to fiberglass it? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it you just want to make it look smoother or I mean, because there's there's other ways to accomplish um, aerodynamic smoothing, for for lack of a better term, uh, than than fiberglass and epoxy or or polyester resin. Uh, so if it's smoothing that you're after, I mean, you could do that with lightweight fillers. You know, um, there's a product called, uh, balsa light from, uh, I think it's, uh, advanced materials or something like that. That's basically just a, basically, I think it's just ground up balsa dust with a, with a, with a kind of a, an adhesive component that you spread on there, kind of like a spackle, and then you can sand it down and make shapes out of it and stuff like that. So there's lots of different ways to it. To accommodate or to accomplish smoothing, if that's if that's in fact what you're after. So, so is that something you can use on cardboard? Um, yeah, I mean the the um, the stuff that I use will stick to. I mean, it sticks to balsa, it sticks to plywood, um, it sticks to foam, 
Uh, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't stick to paper because it sticks like glue to my little uh, uh, cardboard spreader thing that I use. So, well, the I mean, only concern I would have would be like the liquid in it causing the, the cardboard to swell a little bit and lose its shape right. and lose its strength. Yeah, and you would have the same issue with, with fiberglassing with epoxy or polyester resin. And polyester resin is not a very friendly um, matrix because that's what it is. It's an adhesive matrix that, that bonds to the fiberglass uh, fibers. Um, that's not a very nice, uh, has a has a solvent in it that, you know, I can imagine if you fiberglassed foam with polyester resin, it would probably not end too well. Your foam would look probably like a like a ball of molten, you know, ice cream <laughs> half melted when you were done. So um so the short answer is yes. You can you can fiberglass um uh the entire plane in this situation. But my concern would be number one, why would you want to? Because the plane is designed to look the way it looks. And yeah, and number two, you as he alluded to, it would become probably heavy to the point would be uh, difficult to fly, if not, you know, impossible to fly with that motor combination, maybe, and battery that he's planning on using. Well, and would, so by fiberglassing it too, though, would that make it um, like more impervious to moisture? Like if you wanted to fly outside, and, um, like with dew on the grass or something like that, would it make it work a little bit better in that regard? It would. Yep. Yep. Because the, the uh, epoxy in this case is what you would want to use. Um or some of these other uh, water-based materials like um, polycrylic has been uh, used with more and more success with fiberglass lately in the last few years. Anyway, uh, but, you know, again, you know, paper-backed foam or cardboard in this case, you know, may, may not, you know, get along with, with those, types of, uh, those types of adhesives. Um, but once cured, yeah, absolutely would, uh, would offer some sort of moisture protection for the airframe. And so, like, what kind of strength would you be adding to it with a layer? And I, see, I don't even know how thick your fiberglass would be. Do you know, like, how thick of a layer would you put on it? Well, I mean, it, so there, there's so many different types of fiberglass and, and um, techniques for, for applying it. Um, usually uh, for, you know, if we're just trying to create a smooth surface to put a really nice finish on to basically seal the wood and provide a little bit of strength and dent resistance, we use something like three-quarter ounce cloth, which is, uh, that's what it weighs. It weighs, the cloth weighs three-quarters of an ounce per uh, square, I think it's, I want to say square yard. I'd have to look it up to be sure, but um, that's pretty lightweight stuff. And when you get that on there with a layer of adhesive, I mean, we're talking less than, less than a 32nd of an inch. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking measuring in the thousandths of an inch. It's really, really thin. So it doesn't, it doesn't add a lot of thickness until you start to get into the, into the thicker, you know, types of cloth. Um, so the, the cloth that you use is going to depend, or the cloth that you use will, you know, will, will dictate how thick the layer actually ends up being when it's finally cured. And so do you just do, like, normally is it a, a single layer then that you put on, or do you do multiple layers? Or does it depend? 
in most instances, it depends, but in most instances, when, when like for instance on the Horton wing, uh, I'm just going to use a single layer of three-quarter ounce cloth because the wing is plenty strong by itself. I don't need to add really any strength. I'm just looking to add a little bit of dent resistance to the to the very thin balsa uh, sheeting, and also to provide a smooth surface for me to apply the final you know finish because I'm not going to cover this airplane with monocoat. I'm going to paint it. So, um, you know, painting bare wood usually, unless you seal the wood over and over and over with some sort of a sealant. Um, you know, you're going to see wood grain, and even though the Horton was made of wood, uh, it was it was smooth. It didn't look like it was made of wood. The real one was made of wood. Absolutely. Oh, I did not know it that. Was, yeah, it was made of wood over a over a steel tubular frame. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually a very interesting airplane. If, if you got some time to kill and you want to do a quick Google search, there's there's actually a fair amount of uh, information out there on it. And how much closer are you to being uh, finished with that one? I am absolutely 0% closer than <laughs> I was the last time we talked about it. Okay, moving on. Uh, you're, you're spending well, all your time I, I, buying I, motors. <laughs> <laughs> and running them. That is true. Fun. Yep. But but anyway, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll answer his uh, his questions on the on the motor and the battery and all that kind of stuff on the next episode. And unfortunately, I don't have a, a lot of knowledge on his uh, co-pilot spelled with a K uh, system from from the uh, the uh, uh, Zo HD Dart two fifty. Um, but that sounds like a really interesting um, experiment, if you will, uh, to take you know to take like. A, a safe system or an AS3X system out of one airplane and putting it into another. I don't see why it wouldn't work because, you know, they sell AS3X receivers, you know, bare, you know, separately. So you can put them in other airplanes. If it's, if it's the same type of technology. Yeah. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to, uh, to do that. Um, Okay. So I was not familiar with that either. And I did a quick search on it before we got on here. Um, Okay. So it sounds like a cool little system, actually. Um, okay. So it's a, a GPS-enabled uh, autopilot for your airplane. Oh, okay. Um, you can hand launch, and it will take care of the launch for you. You know, you can throw it, and then, then as soon as it's out of your hand, it will turn the throttle all the way on and kind of do a, a slow mm. climb for you. Okay. It will also, like, you can, you can turn, like, a, a return to land kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it will fly, and it's supposed to be able to land itself. Um, it also hmm. has the stabilization built into it. So that's another mode that you can do on them. And then you can hmm. turn it completely off and fly it by yourself. So I'm assuming then that it uses the GPS signal to determine how fast it's going. So it knows when to flare and, you know, all that sort of stuff with the landing. Yeah. So like most of the time, the yeah. So like most of the time with the quadcopters and stuff, like with the one I, I have, I know we're not supposed to talk about them. So everybody, I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. But, but no, just to, 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 to get some background. Um, it's your so, podcast. <laughs> well, okay. But still, I don't want to, you know, we said no drones, so, but this is just going to be a quick thing. So you set it down, <laughs> you turn it on, then it gets a GPS lock and it knows height. It knows, you know, where it is in three dimensional space. So okay. when it takes off and does its thing and then comes back down to land, it will move over the the spot where it's supposed to be and then slowly set itself down on the ground. So how that okay. would work with an airplane, I'm, I'm not quite sure because an airplane obviously always has to have forward momentum. So it's going to have to do an approach 
to where it has plenty of room uh, mm-hmm. to where it can make its you know its shallow approach to land on the ground. The other thing that I'm I'm not quite sure on how that would work is how it knows what way to take off and what way to land, because you know you always want to take off uh, and land mm-hmm. with the wind in front of you. So yes. that I, I I'm not sure how that would work at all either. I, like I said, I, I haven't looked into it too much, but it does sound like yeah. a cool piece of equipment. Here's my caveat. So it's a cool piece of equipment if you know how to fly and you use it as a toy where, and I, I think we've, we've mentioned it before. We don't necessarily recommend using that kind of stabilization, that kind of technology to teach yourself to fly. And the reason for that is because you need to learn how to do everything on your own before you move on to something like that for fun. I don't know how to word yeah. it without sounding preachy because that's that's not my point, but <laughs> it's cool that you can do all this kind of stuff, but get the basics right. down first. You know, yeah. you don't want to crash a plane. Like, like he said that he crashed it 10 foot off the ground because he accidentally put it into manual mode. Okay, mm-hmm. that that sucks. You crashed because of that. But if you knew how to land and stuff beforehand, you should have been able to take care of that. Am I yeah, saying it okay? I mean, I mean No, I think I think I think you're you're on. I mean, because I mean, we do we do recommend that you learn to fly on a four channel, you know, airplane and, you know, learn the basics and stuff like that. But um, you know, we we've we've said it before, AS three X and the um what's the other safe and, and some of these other technologies, they're crushes. Um so I I have a little a little bit different opinion than yours. Um, you know, if you're learning to fly and there's not a club available and there's nobody there to assist you, then yeah, yeah, you can you can learn to fly with one of these things and and follow the path, right? You know, you you start with the safe mode and full safe or or whatever, and you gradually work it down to where you're flying completely manual. Um, and then once you've done that, then you know you're you're pretty much ready you know, for the next step or whatever. But, uh, so I, I wouldn't say that, uh, I wouldn't say that, uh, that you shouldn't use them, you know, as a learning tool, because I think you can, especially in the absence of a, a club field with a, with a instructor, you know? Um, but yeah, if, if you have access to a club field and an instructor and, and you really want to get in the hobby and stay in it and make it a, you know, make it a, you know, a lifelong hobby, then yeah, get a full, four channel airplane with none of that safe stuff and, you know, get a hold of an instructor and, and learn to fly, you know, not, not learn to play with a toy. Well, uh, and you really, what those are. I, I know you, you push the instructor thing, but I, you know, I learned without an instructor. It was That's just true. a simple, slow flying airplane that kind of teaches you the basics of it. So, right. um, and I, I, I have to admit, I'm not familiar with the flight test stuff. I mean, I've seen, I, I know of the guys. I've seen some of their videos and stuff. I've really never followed them. Um, mm-hmm. Just because they kind of do different things than what I'm into. So Right. I, I, yeah, me too. The, what, what, they, what they have done that I have seen has been pretty cool, you know. But it, it's not something that, uh, that I kind of follow. So, yeah. The Mini Mustang, I, I couldn't even tell you, like, how big of an airplane he's talking about. Um, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty small if it's a 2205, mm-hmm. 2300 kV motor. Um, mm-hmm. So it's probably going to be something small spinning a, a pretty pretty small prop, but it's going to be spinning the prop fast. 
So I'm guessing mm-hmm. maybe something in the 24 inch, maybe 26 inch wingspan. But like I said, I'm I'm not familiar with them at all. So okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, for that I, one, I'm, too, not I'm, I'm not either. I'm not sure. You know, I watch I watch some of their uh, some of their stuff on YouTube just because of the uh, the wow factor. Like, uh, well, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not like you said. That that sort of that sort of uh, flying is not is not really what makes me tick. I like, you know, the balsa airplanes or whatever, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I think that, uh, getting back to his question here, you know, um, he wants to put this co-pilot thing in the Mustang. Um, my, my biggest, my biggest concern with that is, um, you know, a Mustang, even if it's a foamy in this case, you know, if, if it's a, you know, designed like a Mustang, it's going to be faster then you know this other trainer, this uh, Zo HD Dart 250. Actually, um, the I I don't know that one either, but a Dart 250 sounds kind of fast to me too. So, uh, I, I well, don't, true. I don't know. That's true. Um, it's a different airplane, right? So these are two different airplanes with two different flying characteristics, more than likely. Uh, one of them is probably going to fly faster and do a lot of the other things that airplanes do at a faster speed than uh-huh. the other one. So is this co-pilot light system, you know, capable of knowing when this Mustang, you know, what it's, you know, what what airspeed it stalls at? Is it, you know, is its automatic launch feature or whatever that is, it, does it compensate for aircraft type? Well, no, obviously. I'm sure it doesn't. So um, that would be my only concern. I mean, I would hate to to try something in a new airplane that's designed for something that flies slow, you put it in something that flies fast and it tries to do everything that it does in a slow airplane on a fast airplane, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, I never even thought sense. of that. That's a good point. You know, you might stall it not knowing that it was at exactly. stall speed. Right, exactly. So especially on landing, right? You know, it, it flies a approach automatically on this return to home feature. You know, what if it, yeah, what if it gets too slow while it's, uh, you know, while it's on its approach over somebody's car and stalls and spins and hits somebody's car and puts a big dent in the hood and here yeah. you are now you gotta you know what I'm saying? No, I get it. So yeah, so yeah. that's that's my biggest concern. Yep. Um, but it sounds like an interesting project if you've got room and <laughs> time and you know space. Yeah. So the the last thing I'll say about that one is uh, is send us pictures. You know, we we do like yeah. the pictures. So. Let us know. Send uh, us video. Video is even better. <laughs> there you go. Send us video of the first flight and then and the Dart 250. You know, let us know what that looks like too. We we would uh, we'd appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. So and maybe yeah, those are yeah, cool I'd planes that we that. need to get into and start flying. I don't know. You never know. Nope. You never know what the next cool plane is going to be that you just have to have. <laughs> yeah. So, um, last thing I want to touch on we. Uh, we ended up going out to the field last weekend, and uh, and you yeah, got some flights, good. and I didn't. It was a, a last minute call again for yeah. uh, from mm. me to you, or from you to me, I guess. Yeah, that was my fault. I and it's so chaotic, <laughs> at least for me right now, with here around the weekends because I'm, you know, I'm working and I'm only getting you know the one day off a week, and then with the 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 holiday weekend, we got an extra day, and it was like, oh. I got an extra day. I can do all this stuff. And then it was like, oh, gosh, I have this time. I can go fly. I better tell Ron. I mean, by that time, I'm already loaded up and on my way to the field. So that's, I apologize. I didn't give you a lot of notice. To... Yeah, I get a text. Sam, hey, going to the field. You want to come? And I text back, when are you leaving? <laughs> I'm in the car now. Oh, I'm in the okay. car. 
Yeah. Hey, just Thanks for, for what it's worth, I'm pl- I'm planning on flying this weekend some if the weather's decent. So just so you know. Saturday or Sunday? Uh, well, it'll more than likely be Sunday because that's my day off. Oh, yeah. You're off Sunday. Yeah, that works out good for me. Not like I'm doing anything Saturday either. I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah that's uh, anyway. we did we did make it out to the to the field last weekend and I I flew the 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 P40 which was good to get some get some uh, stick time with that one. That's a really I like that airplane a lot actually. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised because you were very nervous to fly that. Like when you landed well, it, your your hands were like almost shaking and you just had to put it down and walk away for a little bit. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, you know, we said it earlier in the show here that uh, I still get, I still get nervous. I still get the shakes occasionally, and yeah, I had been, had been, uh, you know, had been a minute since I had flown this airplane. So, um, but it flies so good that you know the flights after that, it was, uh, it was all good. But yeah, that first, first flight of the day on an airplane I haven't flown for a while. Yeah, I still get nervous, which surprises me. I mean, you've been flying for like ninety three years. And it, it's still, it's, <laughs> and All it right. still hits you. <laughs> yeah, I still get nervous. Still get, I still put a lot of pressure on myself to not crash. And I think that's what the, where the nerves come from. Because like, like I said earlier, I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna kill anyone if this thing crashes, and I'm not gonna be out. You know, no one's gonna come and take my house because I crashed an airplane or anything like that. But yeah. Um, yeah, I still, I still get nervous cause I don't want to, you know, I don't want to crash them. But it was, so it was interesting though, because when, when I got there, you were, you were fiddling around with it and you were having some problems with, uh, with an engine servo. Um, yeah. So the, the throttle servo, the throttle servo. Yeah. So the, the, the way you handled it was a little bit different than I would have handled it. Um, and okay. I guess I can, I can still learn a little bit from you on, in that regard, uh, personally, oh, okay. with what happened, I would have packed it up and brought it home and gone over the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but what, so what did yeah. you end up figuring out with it and how did you get it fixed and comfortable enough to fly it um, right. without fearing that you were going to have an issue in the air? Right. So first and foremost, um, a proper pre-flight. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, anyway, so yeah, I didn't. I didn't test anything, you know, at the house here before I left. Um, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, how to put your airplanes away for the season and how to get them back out for the season, um, which I normally I'm pretty good about doing. But um, I've never had any problem with this airplane. So um, I just packed it up, you know, charged the battery, packed it up and took it to the field. Uh, when I got to the field, you know, put the wing on and I got to tell you. I hate trying to take a high-tech connector and plug it into a spectrum receiver. Can I get an amen from anyone out there that's had that issue? Anyway, I, I understand. So that. I'm, yep. I'm having, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix that. I'm gonna put some short uh, extensions in there so that I can, you know, do it a little bit easier. Anyway, um, yeah. Once I got everything plugged in and got the wing on it, uh, turned everything on, you know, put the gear down, put it on its gear, and so I could fuel it up and stuff. Um, actually, had fuel in it. Uh, I mean, I put fuel in it. was ready to ready to fire it up and start, you know, warming it up and doing my pre-flight. Um, I noticed that, uh, you know, I went through all the controls and the throttle wasn't moving. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. So I'm, you know, off comes the wing so I can get to the servo. And, of course, I turn everything off and turn it back on, you know, to sort of reinitialize my spec, my old Spectrum DS8, DX8, excuse me. Um, 
and that didn't work. So off comes the wing, and you know, I figured, you know, occasionally um, these old analog servos, which is, you know, I, I have mostly analog servos. I I have a few digital servos, um, but the old analog servos, they you know, they rely on a on a standard electric motor in there to turn the gears, and you know, a regular old electric motor has brushes that ride on an armature and this, that, and the other thing. And occasionally, you know, maybe a little bit of corrosion gets on the brushes and you don't get a good contact and they take a little, uh, kickstart, if you will, to get them, to get them going again. So I did that. I took the wing off and I, I, you know, shut everything off and I moved the servo by hand, you know, back and forth gently a few times, turned everything back on and still nothing. Um, so it's like, well, that's, that's strange. So then I resort to, um, Fix number two, which is my go-to, um, I rebind everything, and I don't know why that works. I, I can't. I don't know the the science behind it. I don't understand why you would have to ever rebind it because you know theoretically, the DSM stuff. You know, once it's bound, it should be bound forever. You know, it should. You know, every time you turn the transmitter on, it should remember that that connection, if you will, to that receiver on that. Yeah. Especially when it's working for all the other servos. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. So, so I did that. I rebound everything, uh, plugged it all back in and lo and behold it, uh, you know, I had throttle response again from that servo and everything else was working. So, um, put the wing back on, put the gear, the gear, I guess was still down, um, fired it up and, uh, did a pre-flight, you know, checked all the controls. And then because of that issue, I, I checked them a second time. Um, and then I put a, uh, you know, once it was warmed up, uh, I think, I think I shut it off and checked the battery or maybe I checked the battery before I did all that. But anyway, did all those pre-flight checks. And of course everything was fine and, and off I went. So, um, yeah, when, and that issue does pop up sometimes with, with, you know, various, um, airplanes, and that's that's usually usually the fix is to to rebind it, um, which is not, it's it's weird, and it it is a little concerning that uh, for whatever reason since the last time I shut everything off, it 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 didn't remember the one you know the one channel for whatever reason that is a little concerning. Yeah. Um, but after rebinding and verifying that everything is working exactly as it's supposed to, there's no reason for me not to not to have faith in it at that point because it's bound, everything is working. If it's working here, it's going to work in the air. So off I went. Yeah, see, that's I guess maybe that's the uh, uh, the stance I need to start taking. But to me, what caused that to stop happening? Or you know, what what caused that channel to stop working? And right. is that going to happen to me no in idea. the air? So right. I don't at that point have have reason but, to be or you know have faith in that that it's going to work from then on. Right. And so well, that's here's, here's here's the rationale I used, right? So it didn't stop working while it was on. It stopped working sometime between um you know the off period from the last time I turned it off to this time that I turned it on. So the failure, if you want to call it a failure, didn't happen when the radio was turned on because obviously the last time I flew it, it worked, right? Otherwise the airplane would be in pieces. So um, I feel that a failure in the off position or a, or a, um, a, a lost bind, if you will, in the off position is less worrisome than something that would happen while everything is on. Like it's working when it's on and then now all of a sudden it, it's not working and it's still on. Does that make sense? Well, I get it, but I guess really you don't know that for sure. 
So it could have worked when I you first turned it on. I absolutely do know that for sure. How do you know that? Because, because the last time I flew it, it worked. Well, what I'm saying is, though, you don't know necessarily if when you turned it on, everything was working, and then something happened before you did your check in the, in the minute oh, it was on or something like okay. that. So, so you mean in the 15 seconds from the time I turned it on to the time I moved that control surface, I don't know if that might have been the failure point? Correct. That's what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. True. Yeah, I can't argue that, so... And that's so that's where that's true. where I have I have more, I guess a more of a cautious approach, and I would probably have just taken it home and done more testing before I just flew it. If it was a plane I cared so, about that much. So what what testing would you have done at home that that I didn't do there at the field? I probably would have ran it quite a bit at home, and you know engine on, engine off, just done a whole bunch of tests on it to see if it was something that was going to happen. Because, like to me, and I I, I don't know enough about how those actually work and where that would have or where it would have the problem. Um, so I would want to know, you know, that for several minutes, for several, you know, for quite a while that that is going to keep a bind and, and keep working. So I would probably would have brought it home, uh, ran it around on the ground a little bit, ran it on its own outside, you know, tethered down, um, brought it inside without the engine running and just ran through stuff or even just let it sit for a while and then go back to it and make sure it was working. Hmm. And that's saying something because it's not a short drive for you out to the field. <laughs> well, there have been there have been plenty of times I've taken uh, uh, yeah. airplanes out there and then just taken them apart and not flown them because something, even though it checked out right at home and stuff, wasn't right there. But hmm. that, okay. you know, once again, I think that's because I was kind of, uh, you know, we've had issues with electronics before. Yes. And if there's any kind yeah. of if there's any kind of uh, sign that something is not right. I want to kind of check that over to make sure it's not going to be something I'm going to regret later. But that's just okay. me. Yep. You know, it was yep. completely successful. You flew it. It flew great. You had fun with it, and that was the point of it. So obviously mm -hmm. what you did was correct. Flew it three times. You didn't have a problem. Nope. So not once. I, yeah, guess, I, just, I, guess, I guess in the end it's, it's a leap of faith, I guess. All right. So, yeah, that, uh, that's what uh, happened at the field, and— um, it was a it was an odd occurrence, but it it it's happened you know before, and then that was always the that was always the fix, and uh, so I felt confident that uh, that that would be the fix this time, and it was. So, yeah, it was good to be out to fly though. Felt good to fly again. I agree. <laughs> it had been a while. January first, I think, right? Um, since out there, yes. Yeah. So that's quite a while. Yeah, <laughs> way too long. Um, yep. yep. One one thing, one last thing I wanted to to say. So we're going to be doing an episode here coming up in the next little while on tools. Um, mm -hmm. You know what kind of tools we need to uh, to build planes. What kind of tools you need to fly planes to take care of planes. Um, reach out and let us know what your favorite tool is. So yeah. I want to make sure we get everything covered, and I know we're not going to be able to get every single tool we use in one episode. Um, but I'm curious. Yeah, that would make for a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> it would. Because I um, have a lot of favorite tools. But I, yeah, exactly. So I know you have your your set of tools that you, you kind of go to that you enjoy using. I have mine. Um, but mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious, other people, what kind of tools yeah. they like, what they use, what their go-to tool is for, you know, for certain right. things. But, you know, what what do you use and what do you enjoy using? So just reach out, send yeah. us an email and let me know. Uh, and we will, like I said, in the next uh, next few weeks, we'll be covering tools. Yep. 
Speaking so. of tools, I was using my tools, uh, you know, on my on my various engines that I that I have, and uh, as we've talked about, I uh, you know we're I'm getting ready to you know start building a dualist here very very soon, hopefully very soon. I don't know about that. I mean, if you ever get your balsa, I'll I'll get it eventually. Um, <laughs> at any rate, I was you know I was tinkering with the uh, the engines that I'm planning on using that, and I'm not sure if I mentioned it or not, but they're going to be. Uh, a pair of old Irvine 40s. Yeah. Um, so you know, tinkering with them, and I ran them on the stand, and they ran, they ran fine. Um, but uh, you know, they're they're older. You know, they've got a lot of a lot of hours on them. Uh, so I thought, well, maybe I should uh, I should freshen them up a bit. And and by freshen them up, I mean um, if the bearings feel gritty, I'll go ahead and replace the bearings. Which unfortunately for the Irvines. Uh, or at least these particular Irvines, they have a really unusual size uh, rear bearing that uh, it's not easy to source. But anyway, that's not the point of this. Um, I wanted to get a set of rings for the pistons. And uh, as as some of our listeners may may know, there's a name out there that is associated with uh, piston rings. Uh, Frank Bauman. Uh, been making rings forever, right? Um, and usually it, it's, uh, it's a performance upgrade. Uh, guys would would buy new engines and put one of his uh, his uh, steel rings in them, and it would actually perform better because it would make a better seal because it's machined to you know better tolerances and this that and the other thing. But anyway, Frank Bauman uh, quit uh, making rings here. I think it was uh, 2017. Uh, hopefully, somebody will correct me if that's incorrect. But uh, the guy that uh, he trained to take over the business, uh, Bjorn Ball. Uh, sent me a pair of rings. Thank you very much, Bjorn. Uh, the company's name is RMG Machine Works. RMJ, excuse me, Machine Works. Uh, and that's short for Ringmaster Junior because uh, Frank Bauman was the ringmaster and he taught Bjorn and <laughs> Ringmaster Junior. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. So a good uh, name. as luck would have it, I uh, I didn't do my research and I ordered the wrong rings. So they, they came in and... Uh, and I tried fitting them on the piston, and I'm like, ah, crap, these don't, these are the wrong rings. I got the wrong rings. So I called the and talked to Bjorn himself at the company. And while we were talking, you know, I was saying, hey, look, I got these rings, and they don't fit. And and he's like, yep, you ordered the wrong rings. And sure enough, <laughs> I did. It was, it was totally, totally my fault. Um, but anyway, he said, you know, your voice sounds kind of familiar. Um, are you on a podcast? I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, I am. So Bjorn, if you're listening um, to this one, thank you very much. Uh, he offered to send me, you know, another pair of rings uh, at no cost, which was amazing. Um, that is very and nice. The fact, yeah, and the fact that you can call the company and talk to the actual owner, the guy that's actually going to make your rings for you is really, really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting the uh, the replacement rings that I uh, ordered incorrect or to replace the rings I ordered incorrectly. Um, to put in here, and I and I expect these engines to uh, to to wake up, and I'm I'm really excited. And I just wanted to thank him for uh, for his really great service. And uh, you know, he had me measure the the bore of the of the sleeve to make sure I got the right rings this time. And uh, class act. Uh, so if you need piston rings for your old engines, he can hook you up. And they're really really cheap too. I mean, a pair a pair of these things was less than forty bucks, which is quite amazing because i think the factory rings would have been twice that wow that is pretty good and that's amazing yeah. he offered to send those to you when the original order 
you know mess up was, was your fault. <laughs> was my fault. Yeah. That's yep. Uh, that's good yeah, customer service. So that's awesome. It's excellent. Yeah, excellent customer service. So I just wanted to shout out to Bjorn there at uh, RMJ. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for for uh, working with me on that. And I can't wait to get those in the in those engines and run them again. Ringmaster awesome. Junior, that's awesome. RMJ, that's right. <laughs> so cool. Did you? Uh, um, I know you you were looking online at, at getting another engine, um, but <laughs> it, it ended up not making it to you. Uh, you know, you were outbid. Did you order your? Yeah. Uh, did you order your other one or not? No. I no. Haven't. So, okay. Um, I guess that you want me to talk about it. Well, that's why I brought um, it up and didn't say specifics. <laughs> right. So, um, Clarence Lee. I think we may have mentioned that. I may have mentioned the name. In in uh, in the engine episode, yes, you did. Um, but and but, then I uh, think in the uh, next one also. <laughs> well, I I hold him in high regard. Um, Which is why to, I'm pushing you. We, we, <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, when it, when it comes to model, you know, model engines, uh, Clarence Lee is, uh, you know, in in my mind, a legend. I mean, I've never met him. Okay, I've seen his engines running, and they are amazing. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, I, somebody had one for sale on eBay. It was a Clarence Lee 61, uh, which is a, a Clarence Lee modified K&B uh, 61 uh, that I was bidding on and hoping to win. And of course, I got outbid because I'm, you know, cheap. Um, <laughs> but uh, but believe it or not, Clarence Lee is uh, at least as of right now is is still in business at the at the very young age of I believe it was 93. Was that uh, the age you looked up? I think that's what it was. Yeah. So still doing engines, still building engines. Uh, and, and Ron here is pushing me to order one uh, before I can't order one anymore, if, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and I keep, I keep sitting on the fence. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of money for one engine. I mean, now this is coming from the guy that has bought a lot of engines recently, but I buy them cheap. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't spend a lot of money on them. But you will be able to get those engines for a long time. And this engine, you will not. That's true. That's absolutely true. And this would this would be an engine that I would buy, and and probably never run. I mean, it would probably stain my box, and it would be one of those one of those things that I look at and just just look at, you know, because it's it would be it would have so much meaning uh, to me uh, to to own one of these uh, from Clarence Lee. So so Ron's pushing me, and I'm I keep uh, keep sitting on the fence. I think I I think. I'm sitting on the fence in the hopes that uh, while I'm sitting on the fence, they become unavailable and therefore will make the decision for me. I think that's what's going on. I don't know how to take that. What do you mean? Did you just say you hoped that he would die? No, no, absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think in the back in the back of my head, I think I'm I'm trying to talk myself out of buying one. And that's the rationale I'm using. So, well, you just said you hope that they would become unavailable. Well, the only way they become unavailable if the guy's dead, or if he stops making them. Maybe I mean, he could he could choose to stop making them just because he doesn't want to do it anymore. He doesn't have to die to stop making them. <laughs> True. Well, so my or maybe because, or maybe K and B stops making engines and he can't get parts anymore to make them. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm in the back of my head. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. At some on some level, whatever that is, I think I'm, you know, I'm delaying so that 
if I delay long enough, they will be out of production and I won't be able to get one. But anyway, so yeah, I've been I've been pushing Tom and and to have him go ahead and order that engine. Um, I don't want him to regret not doing it later. I appreciate that. And it's and I'll just say one thing: it's very easy to spend someone else's money. <laughs> well, I'll just say another thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I I also know, like I said, there have been some things that I have wanted. Um, that I've sat on the fence about and mm-hmm. not bought, and right. they're no longer available. And I, I don't, I have regrets in that. And just from hearing the way you talk about the guy um, and how much you would appreciate a motor like that, really, it's not a lot of money for what you're talking about. You spend a lot more than that on other things. Um, That's true. That you won't even remember in two months. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about what I've spent lately. I'll remember all this stuff in two months. Or but in I know four what months. you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying, and you're absolutely right. Oh, I know I'm right. That's why I keep bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So at the beginning of next podcast, uh, our our next show, Tom is going to come in with the news that he has ordered the engine, and uh, <laughs> is anticipating it with bated breath at the uh, at the mailbox. Right. I'm going to neither confirm nor deny. No. I'll try a few more times. Okay. Credit for trying. Yeah. So I think I'm done. Anything else you want to cover? Nope. That, uh, I think I've, uh, I think I've covered everything I wanted to cover and gave the shout outs I wanted to give. Okay. So thank you everybody for listening. Tune in next week (laughs) for what's probably going to be a marathon episode talking about, uh, electric engines or electric motors, whatever you want to call them. And yep. batteries and selection and all that fun stuff. So uh, yep. until next I'm, time. I'm looking forward to learning. Yes. Uh, so am I. So until next time, <laughs> I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Keep sending us pictures. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> good night, everybody. Good night. Oh, and by the way, the reason we say good night, I notice we do that all the time. And a lot of times, you know, you're not listening at night. But it's 10 o'clock our time here now, so to us, it's, <laughs> it's time to go to bed. It's way past my bedtime, yeah. <laughs> so that's why we say good night. <laughs> Perhaps we could say good day, but I think that kind of sounds abrupt. So um, I'm going to keep saying uh, good night. So yeah. good night, everyone. All right, see you later. <laughs> How about that? There you go. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> good night. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.